our Savior Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May I speak in the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now, good evening. I'm afraid Morris stole my thunder by introducing me far more nicely than I might have introduced myself. But it's not such a very long time ago that I was sat in some of those seats, probably hiding at the back and hoping I wouldn't be given jobs to do, uh, especially because I can actually play the piano if I would have been pretending that I could because it was too hard. But... For, you know, it's an honor to be invited back here to preach or indeed to celebrate. But, you know, when you come back here, it's a bit of a challenge, I'll be honest with you, because this isn't an ordinary sermon, this is an MS sermon, because, <laughs> you know, you have that nightmare sense of the people who taught me and assessed me are all looking at me. And I have this recurring dream sense of, you know, I forgot to prepare for the exam and suddenly I find myself stood in front of them all. But there's another, at least equally challenging element to this. And it's the fact that I'm preaching to a group of people who are or will be my colleagues, shown in my colleagues. So it's a kind of like when I go to a conference to speak to fellow teacher educators. This is an in-house conversation where we all have a little bit more experience than we might bring to bear when we go out to speak in an ordinary parish. So it means this evening, when I am called to unfold the word as I always am, but I'm also called to discern with you as colleagues what unfolding the word actually means at the heart of our vocation. But, as I was taught by Morris and others, let us turn first to Holy Scripture. Now, Katie will be thrilled that my particular focus is on the Old Testament reading. But you'll also notice, Katie, I avoided option B, which was Isaiah, because I'm just... I couldn't face that. So, I have no doubt that Katie has taught you over and over again don't ignore the Old Testament, because we know in an awful lot of churches there's a tendency to skip over it, 
sometimes not just in the preaching, but in the lectionary itself. And there is a wealth of wisdom and insight to be gained from the Old Testament scripture, even when it presents us, as it does in this evening's reading, with complexities of interpretation. So let us unfold that opening of Genesis. Now, Siobhan beautifully read that rather long account from Genesis, which is the first of the two accounts of creation. It's poetic in its form. It describes God, the creator, calling all of creation into being. And what it tells us is before God called the universe into being, there was nothing but a formless void or complete chaos. And God alone brings all the physical universe and all of nature that lives, the plants, the insects, the birds, the fish, the humans, everything into being from nothingness. But the description we get of each of those six days of creation is very similar in its structure. And there is a repetition of a phrase, and God saw that it was good. And that repeated phrase is a very important one because it tells us nothing that God created is wrong or bad or in error. And hold on to that phrase because we are going to be coming back to it. That first chapter of Genesis gives us an account of God's creation of humanity. And unlike the rest of creation, we're told God chose to make human beings in his own image. And he created humanity according to his likeness. We are told he made males and he made females. And that this creation of the biological sexes makes sense in terms of his blessing humanity to go forth and multiply. And again, I remind you of that phrase, that God saw that it was good, telling us that everything God made was intended to be used for his purpose and his good outcomes. And we're also told that God gave humanity alone out of all that he had created, dominion over all living creatures. Now that word dominion is an interesting one, because if we look at, and obviously you're all like me, really fluent in Hebrew, one of the areas where I fell down. Um, but we find out if we go and look it up online, like I did, that the word dominion is translated from the Hebrew word rada, which means to rule, to have dominion over, to dominate, to tread down, to subjugate. And I remind you again of God's phrase, and God saw that it was good, telling us that everything God made was intended to be used for his purpose and for good outcomes. And so today, to reflect that need for everything to be used in a good way, we've tended to use the word stewardship to understand dominion positively, so that it's about our responsibility and care for creation, rather than just treading down and kicking down with our feet and destroying. Now that opening chapter of scripture gives us a number of very important pieces of information about the divine nature of God. Our God creates order out of chaos, out of the formless void, out of nothingness. He sets out to create things that are good. He creates humanity in his own image and likeness. And in this way, God creates humanity to be creative as a reflection of his creativity, but also to be aware of his divine presence and his nature and to be stewards on his behalf over all his creation on earth. And if humanity could consistently live up to God's hope, then I suggest the rest of the Bible would have actually been quite short. In fact, if we just taken those first nine verses 
of Psalm 136. That might have been the rest of the Bible. All this lovely stuff God created, you know, basically, thank you God for your mercy and we'll enjoy it and we'll take care of it. Unfortunately, I think we've been a little bit, sometimes humanity has been a little bit <coughs> not quite living up to God's hopes because the rest of the book of Genesis, which we're not going to ask Siobhan to come back up and read, tells us about all those times humanity lost the run of itself. Adam and Eve were disobedient in the garden and ate the, tr the fruit from the tree of good and evil. Then people in Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked and then people in Babel were arrogant and built a tower. And, and there are so many stories all <coughs> across the Old Testament and in the teachings of the prophets and then on into the New Testament that tell us all the myriad ways that humanity has this great capacity to mess up and in doing so undermine the goodness of God's creation. It's also worth remembering that there are people who live up to the goodness that God expects of us, so we shouldn't set that entirely aside. But all of these times that humanity has been a disappointment, does this mean that in creating us, God made a mistake, or God was in error, or God created something bad? No, because God created us in his own image and likeness, and in doing that, he gave us free will. So we have the capacity in us to follow God's law, to act on his behalf as stewards, to you know, do good in all that we do. But because of our free will, sometimes we fall short. And why do we keep falling short? Well, there's something in today's gospel that gives us a very clear hint about what I think is one of two reasons why we repeatedly fail. Is it because we try to put ourselves into the role of God? Partly because we get arrogant and think we can compete with God, but I actually think it's captured in Matthew's gospel today about primarily being a lack of faith, a lack of confidence, this false belief that we've got to go and fix everything ourselves, that we've got to ensure all our own needs will be provided for, and thus we end up obsessing and worrying about the future and everything else instead of simply being in the present the way all of the rest of God's creation can be, our anxiety is maybe one of the key reasons we fail. But of course, there's the arrogance element as well. The way we tend to interpret scripture can impact on our understanding of God and our own role in God's creation. And that word dominion and its original word rada in Hebrew gives us lots of space, unfortunately, to err on the side of arrogance and see ourselves as God's equal. Do we just see ourselves as stewards on God's behalf? Or do we actually begin to see ourselves as the rightful rulers over all of creation with the right to subjugate anything we like, even for our own amusement? Or do we grow up from that and understand dominion and power as an opportunity to be creative, to be enabling, to exercise a positive influence? Now that latter understanding allows us to work in partnership with God and on God's behalf as his stewards, rather than thoughtlessly wreaking havoc, because it puts God at the heart of all we do with his creation. Dominion is something we should exercise with care and responsibility, governed by our faith and trust in God, rather than wreaking havoc regardless of the consequences. Our proper exercise of dominion is actually through him, with him, and in him, rather than arrogantly thinking 
that we can simply replace God and possibly even do better than him because improperly used, that human capacity for arrogance can lead us to create chaos out of God's order. Now, if I was preaching in the cathedral or in a parish church, I would be inclined to stop here. Oh, good, they all say. But because I'm speaking to future colleagues, in a place of ministry preparation, I've got a little bit more for us to say. Sean is going to kill me for this now later. But I want us to reflect a little more on this preaching from Genesis. What does the word unfold for us as people who are or will be ordained in ministry with all its attendant responsibilities? First, we're going to have to explain and interpret the Old Testament to people who are at a greater and greater cultural distance from it, from its genres, its cultures, and most of all, from the stories embedded in it, which are no longer part of common currency. I can see this in the last decade in my students. And these are young people. They no longer know the stories like Noah's Ark. These are kind of complete news to them. We all grew up with that as a normal part of social currency, even if you weren't a churchgoer. So we're gonna to have to interpret all of that. We will find ourselves explaining to mystified listeners that the Old Testament tells the story of God's unfolding relationship with all of his creation, but especially with humanity. And that the stories of humanity's repeated failure to live up to being in God's image and likeness does not mean that God created anything bad or made mistakes. And concepts such as God gave dominion to humanity over all other creatures, well, that needs to be unpacked very carefully in light of our Christian faith and commitment and current concerns about climate. We will also have to speak to a wider audience from time to time. The public square is a space of clamoring voices and competing beliefs and multiple opinions, debate, dissent, and occasionally very tempting heresy. And yes, I am going to go there. Now, there is a heresy that emerges again and again in the history of the Christian church from the earliest times known as Gnosticism. Gnostics believed material creation is evil. And they also believed uh, that there was a divinity in humanity. Now, both of those are heretical beliefs that go against what we have been unfolding in Genesis this evening. Because we saw over and over again in Genesis 1 that God looked on each element of his creation and saw that it was good. And scripture teaches us that God has made nothing that is evil or wrong. And second, yes, God made humanity in his own image and likeness and gave humanity dominion, namely stewardship over his creatures. But scripture teaches us that we are his creation, here to worship and praise and obey him, and not to compete with him and create chaos out of order. So why on earth am I talking about Gnosticism, seeing as that's way, way back in the mists of time in the early church? Well, my reason is this. Gnosticism in various forms keeps recurring over and over again in human thinking. So it behoves us who are ordained or in training to be aware of the reality that heretical thought will continue to be part of society and part of the culture in which we live, express our own discipleships and minister to others. Heresies are attractive to people of faith because they seem to provide answers. Like, for example, that ongoing sense of, 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 of worry that creation continues to groan in labor pains, as St. Paul said, because humanity, its stewards, continue to fall short of God's expectations. 
Now, we have one current manifestation of this Gnostic heresy. It's actually gender ideology. The idea you can be born in the wrong body or that male and female categories should be done away with because they're outdated and they might be offensive to some people. Now, if anyone is born in the wrong body, well, then that means God made a mistake. God made something wrong. And we know that's a heresy. And if human beings like surgeons and endocrinologists and indeed educators act on these ideas, are they not in danger of putting themselves in the place of God, thinking, well, we better fix the mess God made and steward his creation better than he did, thus creating chaos? If male and female categories should be rejected, and if we can re recreate individuals with better bodies that appear to be the opposite sex or even both sexes, then what we're saying is we can do better than God. And in doing that, we create chaos. Now, I teach about relationships and sexuality education to my students, and I also teach them about moral and values issues in the world. So I've given quite a bit of thought to gender ideology in the last few years. But what I've noticed of late is these ideas are beginning to be supported by many very nice, kind, inclusive people in the Church of England. And such trends that happen next door across the water have a tendency to impact on how we think in the Church of Ireland as well. But it was only in the last fortnight that it occurred to me, actually, this is the latest expression of Gnosticism in our world. This is something we've done over and over again. Now, all of us are going to find ourselves dealing with various heretical ideas. Human beings can easily fall for the idea, and we keep doing it, that we know better than God, we know better how to exercise <coughs> dominion over his creation, and in fact, given that we have that spark of divinity in us, sure we can leave him behind and get on with it on our own. So that heretical ideas respond to our tendency to be anxious about our own imperfect faith, about the fact that we feel we need to do it all because we panic and worry, just like Jesus talked about in today's gospel. But it also emerges out of that dark side of human nature, the arrogance, the willingness to go build the Tower of Babel or do all the things that God told us not to do because we can teach <coughs> God. The Old Testament is full of stories about how badly wrong it has gone every time humanity has tried to compete with God, how they have created chaos out of order. And it falls to us in ordained ministry to keep reminding ourselves first and then others about the proper nature of our relationship with God. In essence, we're called to keep ensuring that we know our place in the divine pecking order and nurture our faith in our heavenly creator the Old Testament scripture and its stories are a very helpful tool in that regard. Let us pray. God of love, guide us to hear, study, and inwardly digest your holy word, not only for the strengthening of our own faith and understanding, but also that we may guide the faith and discipleship of those given into our care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.